What's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of Left Side Heavy presented by Blue Wire Hustle. It's your boy, Jevin LeFave. You know you can follow me on Instagram at Jevin.LeFave, on Twitter at JevinLeFave. Find everything you need for the show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Left Side Heavy underscore. Today, I am bringing on two guests, two separate times, one after another. Um, the first one will be Brian Sign. He is a radio host and a podcast host of the upcoming House of Jerks, a part of the Blue Wire Hustle community. So it was awesome to have him on to talk to some NHL and just and also Carl Nassib coming out in the NFL. So it was a fun conversation to and it was just a fun time having him on. He's a rally guy, so it was just a different insight and it was cool hearing his opinions and what their next steps are. So. It was fun to have him on, and uh, after that, we had on Hayden Gray. He's a basketball podcaster. He has a couple ones called Dropping Dimes and um, Courtside Chats. Um, one of them is part of the Blue Wire Hustle community as well. So, um, Brian to talk on some NHL, Hayden to talk some NBA, and it was just a, it was a fun conversation with the both of them. So, I hope you guys enjoy uh, the conversations, and I hope you take a lot from them. And I'm doing a giveaway. I will be. I posted a giveaway on Instagram. So, a chance to win one of three $50 Amazon gift cards. So, the details will be in the post on the Instagram and Twitter at leftsideheavy underscore. So, be sure to put in your name and like enter the giveaway because I'm trying to gain some traction and make sure you share the show. So that everyone is aware of it, so that everyone can, you know, just give their chance or get their chance to win. So, um, also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps grow the show in many, many different ways. And Tom, I believe that's everything. I know you're waiting to get the intro going, so please kick us off. It's episode 43 of Left Side Heavy, the podcast presented by Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Jevin LaFave, and today I welcome on Brian Sign from the upcoming Blue Wire Hustle podcast, House of Jerks, to premiere soon. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, How's it going down there in Raleigh? Oh man, we're not as warm as you are, which is completely different than normal. Yeah, it's generally it's we're generally actually having hotter in June here. So really, that's a yeah, that's completely opposite of where I am up here in Porco Quitlam. It's uh, it's currently like forty degrees, and it's uh, five forty Eastern, uh, five forty Pacific Standard Time. So it's a uh, yeah, it was a scorcher today. Uh, all schools are closed down. Um, jobs are have generally got shut down early today. I got sent home at eleven. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's a big heat wave that's uh, gone on today. But uh, in general, how are you doing lately? Uh, how was the you know, summer springtime treating you? It's it's been good. You know, we uh, we had a good season. Uh, didn't go as far as we would have liked, but. Uh, it's a good season, and uh, there's not really an off season for hockey. We're in the the, the final now, and uh, coming up soon, we're you know about to lose players to the Kraken. 
So we're going to see what's going to happen. But yeah. So uh, big news have come out like recently. You guys have bringing Rod Brendamore back and all of his coaching staff, I presume. But uh, yeah, what ha- what were your overall thoughts of the season that Carolina had in the, the modified divisions? Well, winning the Jack Adams, I think, was long overdue for uh, for Brendamore. I think he should have won it two years ago. One of the things I think was really really cool that he said was um, he he said he thought that he did less this year than he did two years ago, which I think is the sign of a good coach. It's a good sign yeah. of a business leader. It's a good sign of anybody that's running any sort of organization yeah. is the more he can step back and let everybody else take control because he has good people in control and he has good people doing the, what they're supposed to do. So uh, the fact that he would only resign if he brought back all of his assistants and then, you know, he said, even the janitors, I want to make sure the janitors come back. So I, I'm really impressed with him. Uh, I think he's building a great culture here. I'm really, really proud of him. Uh, happy to be a jerk, man. So when did the overall fandom of the Carolina Hurricanes start for you? Um, for me personally, it was when they came down from Hartford. Um, I was living in Greensboro, which is about an hour and a half away from Raleigh, uh, going to school there. They came down to Greensboro for two seasons while they were building the stadium in Raleigh. And I was going to school there and I could walk from college across the street and get in for free because they didn't check tickets because nobody was going. So I became a huge fan. I grew up a Washington Capitals fan. I grew up in the D.C. area. But, uh, you know, when you get to watch games for free and you get to meet the players and hang out, it was a great time. And then uh, – Got to watch the cup run in 2006 and never looked back. Yeah, anytime we can get free tickets and have another place to go to slam a couple of beers back, you generally become a fan of whoever you're watching. And it's worked out for Carolina. They did have that cup run in 06. And as of late, the past few years, they've had a very bright future uh, built. And it really helps with the way Rod Brandemore has built that team. But, no, they're definitely exciting to watch for sure. Now, I think the new ownership has done us a lot of good. Uh, Dundon uh, came down, uh, took over the team. Um, former owner was very, very cheap. And Dundon's willing to spend some money. So we were not happy to see uh, John Forslund leave. He went to uh, NBC, and now he's uh, – going to be the voice of the Kraken, which uh, is more in your neck of the woods. So yeah. I'm going to have to listen to the Kraken because I love listening to John Porzel. I think he's one of the best play-by-play guys on the planet. Yeah, he's uh, – I wish I got to hear him a bit more, but Carolina, they're, uh, they're bumping up in the ranks as one of my favorite teams um, in the States because of their – like they're building like a different – uh, culture that an NHL team should have than the usual one. They're they're a bit more out there, and they're a lot of fun to watch. But what do you think? Well, the, you know, play- I think the, oh, the, the storm surge. No, I was gonna say I think the storm surge and uh, you know Don Cherry making fun of us and stuff, and uh, yeah, that that kind of put us in the spotlight a little bit more. Um, and then Gary Bettman, the first time he came down, he's like, "You guys are tailgating before a hockey game." Yeah. You know, it's just it's just kind of the way we do hockey in the South. We 
we tailgate, we act like idiots, we drink beer, we have big pickings, and uh, we play hockey. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's definitely fun to see the league kind of go in that direction. But what do you think the team did differently this year? Did everyone just kind of step up in different ways, or was it just the way that it was coached? Because you can't, you guys came first when people kind of had Tampa running away with the you know defending cup champions but you guys clinched the central division so what do you think kind of went differently this year well I think there's there's two things on that first off I I don't think Tampa Bay really cared about the regular season I mean they were perfectly happy just sticking guys on the long-term injury list and just bringing them back for the playoffs which yeah work out well for them um that's the reason why they're what 20 million dollars over the cap or something yeah 18 i believe care about the regular season uh but florida and uh you know and the canes we we fought it out uh nashville was was really good this year as well i think the biggest difference for us this particular season was just guys coming together guys want to play for uh for brenda moore and it's it's more of a family unit um, it's one of the things I don't see a lot in professional sports and one of the reasons why I really like this team. What do you think happens with Dougie Hamilton? He's gone. Yeah. I mean, short and sweet, he's gone. Um, he's been allowed – he wants an eight-year contract. He's not going to get an eight-year contract here. It's not going to happen. Um, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but it's – with having to re-sign Sveshnikov, and we have a couple other players coming up. Um, it, it, there's not enough money to be able to re-sign him. Uh, he's a great player, but I'm pretty sure he's in Toronto next year. Toronto. He's that's where he wants to go, and Toronto seems to be able to stretch money. So, yeah, they'd have to let a lot of people go, or maybe trade one of the top four and, um, like. Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. So one of them, I believe, has to go. But it's going to be interesting to see if Hamilton goes there because they still have a few other contracts to work out. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they might only have seven players on the team next year. Yeah. A lot of high-priced players, but they might not be able to have a full team. Yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But uh, we're talking about hockey right now, but I want to start this episode off – with a big headline that came out in the NFL. Uh, I believe he is a linebacker or defensive end. Doesn't matter. Uh, Carl Nassib of the Las Vegas Raiders came out as gay. And he is, that makes him the first ever active NFL player um, to come out as gay. And uh, people, first of all, thought of Michael Sam, but he was. He was drafted into the NFL, but he never played a regular season game. But this is this is huge news, and this really um, has the chance to give or inspire other people to maybe do the same if they're stuck in the same situation of the anxiety and nervousness about coming out, and which is totally it's something I can't particularly understand, but I can totally see how it can be an anxious feeling because there's a different a lot of different opinions towards the lgbtq plus community but uh it's really awesome to see in the world of sports to see carl take that step and yeah it was just uh 
it was really awesome to see for him and just the league in general. Yeah, I you know, um, a little history on myself. Um, I grew up in D.C. Um, at the time, they are called the Redskins. And um, there was a player that one of the best tight ends of all time, Jerry Smith, didn't come out until after he retired because he knew the backlash. So um, the fact that Carl was able to come out now, I think, is, is good. And it doesn't seem like he's getting backlash from his teammates. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there's not any. Yeah. I, I, it's 2021. It's 2021 right now. And to have like any sort of backlash with how society's moving is it's kind of it's it's not what everyone needs. Like this is a time where everyone needs some encouragement and everyone to come together and it's it's over for the backlash and like it, that's over and done with but uh he also donated 100k to the Trevor project that's focused on uh crisis and suicide prevention among the LGBTQ community so that's a really um cool thing that happened and um all the best of luck to Carl Nassib in his future and he's i think he's gained a fan from everyone in the NFL uh, fan base and community because, yeah, it just took a lot of um, courage to do what he did. Yeah, I'm still not going to root for the Raiders, but. <laughs> just totally understandable, but. Uh, all right, um, NHL hockey news. Uh, we are currently recording as game one between Montreal and Tampa are happening, but we will kind of rewind back to Game five of Montreal Vegas, um, but anyway, the headline: Montreal defeats Vegas in six, six games. Um, a complete surprise to a lot of people, I would say. But yeah, I mean, Montreal just constructed a game plan, and they just really focused on shutting down the top guns, and then let their counterattack and special teams do the work. So, but Brian, what did you overall think of the Montreal Vegas series? I, well, first off, I think that you get a hot goalie in the playoffs, you're going to win the playoffs. Um, NHL hockey is different than any other sport because you can have a bad regular season like Montreal did and still do great. Trey Price is looking phenomenal. Um, and I, I don't understand why Vegas went away from Flurry. Yeah. That was a big head scratcher to a lot of people. I mean, don't get me wrong. Laner's a great, great goalie. Um, one of the best goalies in the league. But you ride with what got you there. And they went away from Flurry. And I think that it kind of changed the perspective of the whole team a little bit. And after the 4-1 loss, they never had their confidence. And even though the, the final game went to uh, overtime, honestly, I I was expecting Montreal to pull it off the whole time. Yeah. From that point. Not not from the beginning of the series, but once it got to that point and they, they got rid of Fleury, I – I figured it was over at that point because I think you 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 messed with the team's confidence a little bit. 
Yeah, it's uh, it was definitely interesting to see because, like you said, Flurry's a Vesna candidate this year. In my opinion, I think he should win it. And it's just when you have like a change in goalies, it can almost knock the team off. Like, okay, obviously, some what we're doing isn't working if we're just riding with um, the guy who got us here. Then I think it can still keep the fire under all the players and maybe bring out a win but i mean that game it obviously paid off for vegas because they ended up winning 2-1 but yeah the series got a lot more interesting when that leonard move happened well and anytime you go to overtime hockey um it's a bounce here or there and that's that's the way it ended up happening is it was a bounce it happens yeah now, do I think that uh, Vegas is a better team? Yes. But yeah. Montreal's still playing. So that's all that matters in the end. It's not about um it's not about how you did it, it's just about what you did at the right time. And you know, it's like last year's Tam or two years ago, Tampa, they had the historic regular season, they got swept in the first round. Right? It's all about when what happened? I did love watching that. I, I was I've never been a bigger <laughs> Columbus fan in my entire life than watching Columbus sweep out Tampa Bay. That was beautiful. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty wild to see. But uh, a few interesting one of the things facts. That I think, well, I was going to say one of the things that I think Montreal also did um, is they brought in some veterans right before the trade deadline. Yeah, and they're they're maybe not the best players. They're not like, you know, Austin Matthews. They're not, but they've been there. Um, Eric Saul, who, of course, I know pretty well, um, didn't do a whole lot in the regular season, but he's got eight points already in the playoffs, 13 all season. He's driving the team in the playoffs. And yeah. between him and some of the other veterans they have on the team and then Carey Price, uh, you know, playoffs are different. It's – it's a diff yeah it's a different beast and um that's when it's the most important to show up is when the team needs you most and eric Stahl is doing just that but cole caulfield i think he's the i think he was the story of the entire series he had just as many goals as vegas forwards did and he just he brings a different energy to that team he brings a goal scoring attitude which he obviously brought and he just like he came up in clutch times and i think that was really huge because if the young guys can do it who didn't have necessarily a lot of nhl experience at the beginning of the season him coming in late after his college year he still he stepped in like he never skipped a beat he stepped in like a player who's been playing in the league for six seasons already and he's played for less than half of a season especially in the COVID year where everything was weird but Cole Caulfield, yeah, he was absolutely lights out, and I want to hear your take on not even just Caulfield, but the young players of Montreal in general. Well, I think that, you know, they're young enough that they don't know what they don't know. And coming in during, you know, last year was a diff different year. This year was a different year. They've not been through a normal regular season yet. And so – you get some of these other players that have been around for a while, they expect certain things. And then you, you get Caulfield and some of the other ones that are, they're younger. They don't know what they don't know to them is we just got to win tonight. 
Yeah. Just go out and win. And I think that playing the same team over and over again, um, and then you get somebody completely different that doesn't know you, helps. It, it helps a ton. And I think it can be the driving force for this team going forward, especially with like the help of Suzuki. You know, game five, he played a huge part and he got a goal, two assists, three points. And he like he brings like a type of vibe where he can be a leader on this team for a long time. And him and Caulfield could be a dangerous duo that no one was really suspecting. But they have really proven that they're worth to be looked at as a threat within the league to come. And it's just it's very exciting to see, especially from the Montreal fan base because they've been looking for a goal scorer like Caulfield for a very long time. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Suzuki too, because I think that the way he sets people up is, is really, he does a nice job of always having the puck where it needs to be to set somebody up and to have a finisher with him on the same line helps a lot. Yeah. And I think he had that previously. Yeah, I know. So great job for Montreal for knocking off a lot of people's cup favorites in Vegas. I had him winning the cup over Philly, which is laugh out loud funny because Philly didn't sniff the playoffs. But that's for a later episode to talk about. But uh, actually, yeah, in, all no. curiosity, in, in all curiosity, who did you have as your top four coming out? Because we haven't talked about it. I'm just curious. Because I uh, personally, like the, final, the final four. Yeah, for me personally, I did have Montreal coming out of the north. Um, but, and of course, I had the Hurricanes coming out of central and then the Capitals. And then I, I really thought it was going to be uh, Colorado. You see, I had different opinions as I went. But when I started, like at the start of the season, I think it was uh, Vegas, Toronto. Uh, New York Islanders and Philly. No, no, I had Philly at the very start of the season because I had him going to the final. And then I had, uh, who's the central? I think I had Tampa coming out. Okay. And then I, at the start of the playoffs, I just had a feeling that Florida was going to beat Tampa, but I was obviously wrong. But then I think I went the Islanders coming out of the East. Where, yeah, I was just curious. I mean, it's yeah, it it's was a weird year. I think, so. like going into the playoffs, I think I had Toronto, Vegas, Islanders, and Florida. Yeah, I'm but, just I'm curious because, like, yeah. I think Toronto is probably the most talented team, but they just find a way to lose. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's hilarious because I'm not a huge fan of Toronto, but it's. Yeah, it's laugh out loud funny with all the talent they have, and they couldn't string anything together. But it's the Montreal effect. They shut down Pacioretty and Stone. They shut down Matthews and Marner. And look where they shut down uh, Wheeler, Connor, Ehlers. Shifley got suspended. And then now they're in the Stanley Cup final. So. It's just a team of clogging the neutral zone, playing good defense, having a hot goalie, and then capitalizing on scoring chances, and that's exactly what Montreal's done. So shout-out to them for getting to the Stanley Cup final. And the team they're currently playing, Tampa Bay, they beat the Islanders in seven games, which my girlfriend's not happy about. She is she likes the Islanders. 
But one talking point, Braden Point, nine he had a nine game goal streak up to game seven, which that ended with Yanni Gord scoring it. But I mean game five, eight nothing win and then a few close games afterwards. But what what was your overall thought on this series and maybe going into it to how it ended? You know, I I think Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in the league. Um, you know, the, I don't think he deserved to win the Jack Adams, but I think he deserved more than having one third-place uh, vote. That's all he got was one third-place vote. Um, I, I don't think the Islanders have a ton of talent. Um, Bar Club is good, but they don't have a whole lot of other players. If they can get some more talent, I think they will be good for a long time as long as they keep trots around. Um, Tampa Bay just has more talent than almost anybody else in the league, except yeah. for possibly Toronto. Yeah, I think the my thing with Toronto is I think that they're very top-heavy. Um, I think their depth kind of lacks a bit more than Tampa and teams like New York. Um, yeah, but they're definitely, have- I think, a top five team. But I think with, you know, they have $40 million between four players. I just don't think that's going to get you very far in the playoffs. But, but when you're Tampa Bay and you can just pull somebody off the streets that doesn't count against the cap. Yeah. <laughs> that's and fair. He's- one of the top players in the league. I mean, Kucherov is one of the best players in the league. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, and for him not to count against the cap and just pull him off the streets and say, okay, now we're in the playoffs, you have to expect them to advance the playoffs. Yeah, it's just um, – yeah, and it's, just, it's kind of facts. Yeah, they found the loophole. It's more on the NHL that people yeah. should be getting mad at. Not Everyone – there's a few teams in the league that are playing over the cap right now. That's just the way the rule is. It's just Tampa took more advantage of it than any other than any other team. And that's just a hard-hitting fact that people have yet to realize is that they didn't do anything wrong. They just did it better than everyone else. But uh, what do you think is next for the Islanders? Like, Is the final four their ceiling, or do you think they still have – enough to get to the Stanley Cup final because they play a very similar game to Montreal, which is why I think Montreal Hall has a really good chance against Tampa is because the Islanders are very defensive. If they can get good goaltending, then they're stealing games. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily say their coaching is on the same level, but they, the coaching staff on both sides have like, they draw up good game plans to shut down teams and they seem to capitalize and like counterattack on chances and pull out games. They've both showed it this playoffs. It's just one team did it slightly better than the other. But yeah, what do you think is next for the Islanders and where do you think they can go with the core team that they have? They need well, first off, they don't have Perry Price. So there's that. Yeah. But um, I, the Trotz has always put together a good defensive team. Um, and he has a very, um, he does a really good job of getting players to play in position and do what they're supposed to do. Um, I look back to when he won the, the, the cup with the capitals and 
you know, he, he took a bunch of players that were really, really good and made them play within their roles. And it's the same thing he did this year with the, with the Islanders. Find what they're best at, put them in their best position. Um, I, they need some better goal. They need, they need a star. I think a star, they need somebody that can take over uh, first line and score. Because they can't keep winning one nothing games. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they need a bit more. They need to focus more on attacking than defensive. Because like focusing on defense can only get you so far. They do. Matt Barzell won't win uh, any like scoring title or MVP under the Islander system because it's defense first, then going to offense, and that's why he's. People don't label him as a superstar is because oh he doesn't get enough points. But it's like if you look at the, the at the system he's in, he's focused on shutting down his centerman. Then if he was thrown into the Tampa Bay lineup, he'd be getting like ninety points a season. But that's just not the cards that he was dealt. I I gotta kind of disagree with you because I think that uh, Trotz is putting him in the position that's best for the team, but. Yeah, I mean, well, no, if, if you put him in a different situation, he might get more points, but I think they'd also give up a lot more points too. No, and but like I agree with that. Is um, people are just labeling Barzell as overrated when the system isn't necessarily for his play style. He's just—I'm not saying Trotz isn't running the right system. I'm just saying Barzell might need to be in a more I get a bit more of the green light so that he can get more points. But I do think Trotz is running a great system there. I just think Barzell, he might need a little bit more green light opportunities to rack up some points. But that also, you give more offense, you might give up some defense, and that doesn't really work for Barry Trotz. But Yeah, I think if they had somebody... um you know, um, along the lines of like Aho or somebody that can create on their own that can break out and, you know, do something on their own. Um, I think that they would go further right now though. I, they're consistently going to be a good team and they're going to always be a hard out in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, but Tampa, New York, that was a very good series. It was honestly one that I had Tampa in the beginning, but halfway through, I was like, even at the beginning, I was saying I wouldn't be surprised if New York won in six. Like, anything can happen. It was a series that it was a coin flip in my opinion, but Tampa ultimately edged New York out um, via a game seven victory, one nothing. Uh, Yanni Gore did end up scoring the game-winning goal. Um, within these last three games, did you see anything that you noticed kind of edged one team over the other? Like, is there, at what point did you think this team is winning or this team is losing? Like, did you have that or were you up to the zeros on the dot on the clock in game seven? You're like, anyone, like, this well, is that, a point flip for me. Well, Vasilevsky is, you know, anytime that he's in goal, I'm surprised anytime a goal gets past him. Um, so, and the Islanders, unfortunately, don't have like really great goal scorers that can get past him 
Um, so that was one of the things that I saw. And then secondly, just the depth that Tampa Bay has. I mean, all four lines, they have no injuries. They have four lines that you would put out there with anybody else's top line. Yeah. I mean, I think their third and fourth line are just as good as anybody else's top line. No, for sure. It's it's like uh, Team Canada A team, Team Canada B team. Like it's like Team Canada's second team for the Olympics can almost compete for a gold medal. It's like Tampa. It's like their se- their third and fourth lines could be any team's second line, or like they have players that can play up and down the lineup on their third and fourths. And it's like how can you game plan around that? It's just it's it's almost unfair at this point, but. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things that you talk about um, having home ice advantage and being able to pick who you put out against the other teams, you know, when the other team puts out their line, you're like, okay, this is the matchup I want, so I'm going to put out this line. Yeah. How do you do that with Tampa Bay? Because all four lines are better. So there, there is no weakness there. Yeah. it's uh... And that's what they're going to run into with Montreal. I mean, Montreal is, is a good team, but – Tampa Bay is just deeper. Yeah, that's the that's the end all be all. Is Tampa is just a deeper team? But Montreal versus Tampa, uh, they are currently up one nothing at the end of the first. But Montreal looked like they had some chances. Tampa, they I think they had more of the offensive zone time. But when they played Vegas, they heavily outplayed Montreal in game one and. Look how that ended up. But what do you think about the series? Who do you got in the end? And give me a player you want to, you think has to be an X factor besides Carey Price and Vasilevsky. Who do you kind of have as an X factor for both teams to put them over the edge? Uh, Kushroff. I think he's definitely going to. Uh, He's fresher. He didn't play a whole lot in the past year and a half. Other player, I mean, everybody else has played a whole lot more than he has. Yeah. Uh, he's healthy. He's doing good. And as you go deep and other players are getting tired, I think he's going to probably in game six or seven, he's going to have a huge play that just surprises everybody and he wins. Uh, and for Montreal? You know, I I'm a bit of a homer. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Eric Stahl. I think his veteran leadership is going to, if they're going to win, it's going to be hit. He's going to put him on his back and just say, "Look, I've been here before. I've won this before. I've hoisted the cup before. This is how we do it." Yeah. And we might lose the first game. We might lose the second game. Grind it out. And if if Montreal has a chance, I think they have to lean on his leadership i uh i respect that heavily and uh and no he's not the best player i think it's more of his leadership not his necessarily being the best player but no i i uh i totally agree with that i think just the keeping the morale high at all times get keeping the mindset that they still have a chance in the series despite of any sort of thought that crosses the Montreal players' minds just make sure that just take it game by game, shift by shift, and anything can happen. But 
for Montreal, my player is Josh Anderson. I think he needs to play exceptionally well because, you know, he's had spurts where he just hasn't played well. And I think he's just a player that he needs to show up, be physical, uh, score, produce, get scoring chances to keep the team going, to energize the team. I think he's a huge X factor. And for Tampa Bay, I agree with you. I think Cooch, he always needs to play good. But I think Stamkos, I think even if he just stays healthy, he's had problems of staying healthy and staying in the lineup. But I think if he shows up, then he's like a huge player that, okay, if Stamkos is playing good, then all the pieces will fall into place. But he's shown it so far in the playoffs. He's come up in big moments. He scored 45 seconds in in game five, and Tampa Bay just rolled over New York. But I think if he comes to play, then Tampa's in a really good position to succeed. But uh, what do you all? What do you think will happen in the end? Who do you think advances in the Stanley Cup final? And what are you looking forward to seeing? Unfortunately, I think it's going to be Tampa Bay. Um, I'm not pulling for them. I I'm definitely pulling for Montreal, but. I just think uh, Tampa Bay is too deep, and I think they're going to win it in six or seven. Six or seven? What are you kind of excited to see out of the series or maybe hoping, but what do you kind of think will – What I'm yeah. hoping for is Montreal to to win, and, you know, I, it, it's kind of like the underdog story. They, they shouldn't be in the final. They shouldn't yeah. be around. Um, it, it, that's what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for like the, you know, to, to borrow a, a football and the Rudy story, you know, Rudy from uh, uh, Notre Dame. The, yeah. That's what I'm rooting for is, is something like that, where you have the underdog, you have a team that shouldn't be there. They're not nearly as talented. They got hot at the right time. They were down zero three to Toronto they should have been gone a long time ago. Um, their fans aren't allowed in the stadium or what I think now it's like 50% or something they're pushing for. And yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, they have everything stacked against them. You kind of want to pull for that. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see happen. I would love to see it happen. Um, I've been an Eric Saul fan, you know, for a long time. Uh, Joel Edmondson, several players on the team, Kerry Price, um, first indigenous goalie to play in the final. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many great storylines here. I would love to see them win. I don't think it's possible, but I'd love to see it happen. Yeah, I uh, I think Tampa will take it in six, um, and I'm the same way. I j- I really want Montreal to see you nailed you put the nail on the head you covered all the points i i really want montreal to bring it home but i just like you brought up earlier i just think tampa is much deeper they were in this position last year they know how to handle any sort of pressure and yeah they're just they're built for now and yeah i just think they uh they will take it in six but We'll see what happens. I've bet against Montreal every game, every series, and they've shoved it right back in my face. So I just hope I'm wrong again. 
But NHL awards came out. Um, uh, I'm going to kind of run through them, and you can kind of point out any sort of one that stands out to you. Uh, we've talked about you know, the Jack- obviously there's two that I'm a fan of. Yeah, but I'll let you yeah. talk about the rest. <laughs> we've talked about the Jack Adams earlier, but we'll just cover all of them. Um, Pecorene takes home the King Clancy Award. Uh, Oscar Lindblom takes home the Masterton as he should have. Uh, Bergeron brings home the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Rod Brendamore the Jack Adams. Uh, Sasha Barkov, Alex Barkov won the. Uh, Selkie Award for Best Defensive Forward. Um, Jacob Slavin, your boy, won the Lady Bing. And Lou Lamorello won the Can I talk about that for one second? Can can I talk about Slavin for one second? Yeah, we will bring it back to Slavin for sure. So, you know, not only does – I know a lot of people are complaining that a defenseman won it, um, but he goes up against the top line each week or each game. He – is the top forward. He plays over 20 minutes a game and he had two penalty minutes all year. And the only two penalty minutes he had was for a delay of game because he accidentally put it over, over the board. Yeah. That's the only penalty he had all season. That's crazy. No tripping, no holding, nothing. And he's still the, one of the top defensemen in the league. So, and he, he does so much also in the community. Um, He's, he's a great guy, um, one of my all-time favorite human beings. Not only does he deserve this award this year, but he deserves everything. I Hats off to him 100%. I don't know how much recognition around the rest of the NHL he gets for his off-the-ice stuff, um, but he's a great guy, and um, he, he does a lot. In race relations, he's he's a good guy. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, uh, you you spoke you said it perfectly. Jacob Slavin, a great player and a great person all around, and he was fully deserving of this trophy. And the other awards are to come, uh, but I will announce those as they come out in later episodes. But uh, one last thing before we end up. Uh, Kirill the Thrill, um, assuming he's going to win the Calder, he has basically threatened the Wild that he will go back to the KHL and sign for more money. And basically, at this point, it might just be... It, I don't know the exact amount, but it could be an amount that he's like, hey, I, I can't really turn this down. You probably saw what happened with Kovalchuk. He went back, made his money, and he was able to... I mean, I'm sure he won't come back at the age of like 36, but... Um, what do you think of this absolute mockery of who's you know, the wild? I personally don't think he's going to be leaving. I think he's going to sign back with the wild, but I mean, it's a card to play to negotiate for more money, but what are your thoughts on it? You know, seeing what like Samsonov and Kovalchuk went through and how they were once they came back, I think that it's going to make it harder for him to come back to the NHL if that's the route he takes. If he yeah. wants to go there and make more money for a couple of years, all right, fine. I'm good for him. I don't know how it's going to be easy for him to come back. Um, and I hate it because, you know, he's a young kid, but he, he was fun to watch this year. 
Yeah, he I mean, was he, fun he to watch. Wild, fun to watch. I mean, playing um, you know, playing in the West was was not easy against Colorado and uh, um, Vegas, but you know the Wild still made the playoffs mostly on his back. I'd love yeah. to see him still playing in the NHL. See. Me too. Me too. Um, Brian, this is uh this is a lot of fun to have you on the podcast. And appreciate it, man. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, on this show, we do a little thing called "Time for the Press," where we answer questions. Um, I have one question sent in, and it's from a recurring guest Hayden Barton. He says, "While recording this show, how hot are you, or how hot are you in your room? And can Montreal win it all?" Um. I am sweating absolute buckets right now. I am quite the grossest I've ever been in my life because it's it's very, very hot in my room. I had to close the window for this recording. So it's currently 40 degrees Celsius, so it's hot. Uh, 110 Fahrenheit, av- roughly, for the American listeners. But And I do think Montreal can win it all. They've proved everybody wrong this year, uh, this playoffs up to this point, so... Why not? Why couldn't it be any different? But yeah, um, kind of like what we said earlier, we both think Tampa will win, but we both agree that Montreal can ultimately do it. Can I ask you a follow-up question on that question? Sure. Do you guys have air conditioning in Canada? We do. It's just my, uh, we don't have it built into our house. We had to buy a separate thing. And it's just like I don't have States, I mean, it's you. You have to. Yeah, we do not have heat, but we've we have AC. We've never had it to this the heat to this point where we've like been. It's the hottest it's ever Mm -hmm. like been in our province right now, and it's expected. It's been like this for about oh, it's peaking right now. Supposed to cool down, like four degrees so it's still supposed to be like around 105 but uh it's like we've never had it to this point so we've never desperately needed ac the way we've needed it like the way we needed it right now but no there are houses do have ac there's a bunch of ac units you can buy but but it's not like standard like throughout the whole house kind of centralized yeah like uh, parts of the house are cooler than others, but well, just his question about how hot is in your house—that's why I was asking. Yeah. I was curious. Yeah, I—I'll be honest. I don't necessarily know like our setup, but I mean, we had to go buy a separate AC thing that attaches to our window and kind of thing. Thank so you. I don't think we have some. A, Thing we just turn on and the house is a lot cooler, but no, it's uh it's hot in our house right now. So it's got a bought a pool that we're just setting up in the backyard and fill it with the hose, cool down a bit. But yeah, it's hot, man. It's hot. You know, I'll, I'll think about you while I'm pulling on a sweater tonight and <laughs> hunkering down. It's like forty degrees Fahrenheit in my house, not Celsius Fahrenheit. <laughs> Hey, I, I appreciate that. But um, Brian, when we uh, hopped on the record and you said you had a few things that you want to promote, things that are upcoming. So this is your time to shine and take it away, brother. I appreciate it, man. Um, 
every Thursday from 5 to 6, listen to the House of Jerks. We're on 365sportscast.com. Um, we're on live then. You can catch it later. Um, and we're joining the, the Blue Wire family. So I look forward to that. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll meet together again and join up and do some more cross-promotion. Um, but anytime you want to listen to the House of Jerks on 365 Sportscast, that's where we're at. Uh, do you have any social media or anything else, any other platforms you can uh, promote? Or mm-hmm. is that to come? Now, send me, um, I'm on Twitter at one more shot 99, or you can send us an email at um, house of jerks radio at yahoo.com. Either send us a, a, an email or, like I said, Twitter, one more shot 99. Sweet. Um, yeah. And Brian, uh, once again, I appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for coming on and good luck in the future. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. I'd love to thank Brian for coming on and talking some NHL and know where will Dougie Hamilton go if he thinks that he is going somewhere else besides Carolina. So it's going to be interesting to see. But great conversation with Brian. Thank you again for coming on. And for all you basketball listeners, here he is, Hayden Gray. I am now bringing on a fellow Blue Wire guest, Blue Wire podcaster he is a host of two podcasts one that is a part of the blue wire hustle as well myself uh, the podcast one if i'm not mistaken is courtside chats that he does by himself and brings on guests here and there and uh another one called dropping dimes that he does with his buddy uh hayden gray thank you for joining the show Hey, I'm excited to be on here, and uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit about some playoff basketball for sure. So, uh, how have you been lately, man? Like, uh, I kind of asked this to all the guests I've had on. You know, COVID's been a thing; it's impacted people differently in every sorts of ways. But how's it handled you, and how have you kind of attacked it throughout the past yeah. year and a half? <laughs> it's funny you should ask because. Um... I had uh, Katie Heindel, who's a really great NBA writer and podcaster on, who lives in Canada, coincidentally, like we were talking about, you're in, based in Canada as well. And she mentioned, you know, we're a, they're a little bit more uh, by the book in terms of lockdown over the past year or so. I live in Texas, so, I mean, it's been kind of the Wild West since uh, <laughs> around February or March. So, you know, we're getting back to the swing of things. But, you know, it's funny, I... I started dropping dimes with my buddy in about July. And since then I've really been hitting pedal to the metal, trying to get this sports media career started. And in a way I was stuck at home. I wasn't feeling like I was doing anything. And here I am 60 podcast episodes later. And, uh, you know, I found a new passion all during this crazy, crazy time. And I am, in the complete same position because I took a sports broadcasting class and I was kind of sitting on the do, idea of doing a podcast for quite a while. I just, I don't know, like, is it worth it? Is it worth time? Like, I'm all about, like, is it going to gain traction? And then in a sports broadcasting class, a uh, TV anchor for Sportsnet uh, up in Canada here, Carolyn Cameron, she said, if you want to get into this business, you got to start practicing in any sort of way, whether it's like commentating games just for yourself while the game's on mute or 
a YouTube channel, a podcast. And as soon as she said that, I was like, okay, I think I have to do this now. So then I just went on Amazon and I ordered two microphones, like two USB microphones that <laughs> I could just right, plug yeah. in or whatever. And then I just started, I was like, all right, let's just talk about NFL football right now. And then now we're here. So same idea. It's like, if it wasn't for COVID, I don't know if this thing would have even started. Yeah, man. Listen, we started in our, my buddy and I, Travis, shout out to Travis, my co-host, co-host on Dropping Dimes. We started in our closets, uh, respectively. Uh, the second episode, we recorded the whole entire thing and I realized that I didn't record my end. So we had to re-record. <laughs> oh, so, no. you know, it's just been a year of growing pains and figuring stuff out, you know, learning things as you go. But I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's worth all of the hard work for sure. 100% and I'm happy I ended up starting it because it's I've got to meet a lot of people on the way like yourself and the blue wire hustle somehow came to me through another podcast I listened to and like things it's amazing what can happen when you're just like why don't we just give this a try and I was not expecting to be in this position but you know it's uh I'm glad I did it I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm here right now but the NBA playoffs, they've been an absolute treat this year. You know, um, despite some player injuries, there's been a lot of amazing players setting off, um, teams kind of making runs that people weren't expecting. But what have you uh, thought about the NBA playoffs so far up to this point? Yeah, frankly, um, I'm a Rockets fan, and so I've always kind of had a personal stake in the playoffs. This year is really the first time in which I've kind of just – gotten to look at it truly from a pure fan perspective. Um, and obviously you don't want injuries to happen, which has been rampant throughout this postseason, just because guys have, you know, it's been a condensed season. Everyone's thrown off with COVID, but, um, it has been so much fun to see some teams that you don't typically get to see this late in the later rounds, like the Suns, the Hawks, um, you know, the Bucks to an extent, they're they're always there, but they haven't been able to get over that hump. And, you know, it's, I, I think the other thing that you have to recognize too, is that there's kind of been this changing of the guard from the older guys with LeBron, um, you know, Kevin Durant, he, did all he could to get out of that second series, but the injuries were just too much. And then, so Giannis ended up topping him, but uh, Trey young, Devin Booker, Deandre Ayton, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, there are a lot of really great young players in the NBA. And it's kind of funny. I'm trying to think back to the last time that there was this complete changing of the guard of the, you know, the people who we're going to be seeing in the playoffs every single year. And really it hasn't happened since, LeBron's first stint in Cleveland, I guess, but at the same time, Kobe was still Kobe at the time. So, yeah. I mean, it's really, there's, even though you don't have LeBron in the finals this year, you don't have Steph or Clay, you know, there, there are a lot of really, really interesting storylines coming out of this playoffs for sure. Especially when switching kind of conferences, I guess, but you see, Luca, he's basically carrying the Mavericks to where to the game seven that they got to if it wasn't for Luca himself doing what he does. And then you see the player that he's been compared to since the draft was Trey Young because they were involved in that trade and now is it was it worth it for both teams to do it? And in the end I think the consensus consensus is that 
both teams won because each player fits that team's system as perfect as possible. That could be a debate for other people. I think it's majority both teams won. Luka is the better player, I think. Most people will think, but I think both teams aren't complaining about who they have. But even like Trey Young, the way he was accepting to be the villain against New York, and then you see Giannis, obviously he's stepped up his game throughout these playoffs. And it's just it's very exciting to see um, the star-studded talent that was fully expected, and they're living up to the expectations that everyone had. Yeah, I think, you know, back to the Luka point, I mean, Luka Doncic is arguably the best 22-year-old basketball player we've ever seen. You could make an argument for LeBron or for Magic Johnson, but uh, the things that he was able to do in that Clippers series with the deficit of talent that was around him was truly, truly special. But on the other end, uh, Trey Young has had an incredible um, kind of metamorphosis throughout the course of these playoffs not only is he scoring in all the ways that you expect him to typically, uh, but even when he hasn't been able to score, when he's had an off shooting night, he has been facilitating the ball, getting his teammates involved in every way possible. And I think the knock on Trey young was that he didn't seem to be a quote winning player. Uh, He was too short. He was too much a liability on defense, but the way that he has been able to involve all of his teammates uh, yeah. has really kind of made him be seen in a different light. And I, I I, seriously cannot think of a time where a guy this young was able to mature right in front of our very eyes throughout the course of really a few weeks. Um, and for him to be able to go into New York and just MSG in the first time that they've really had any kind of hope since 2013 with Melo and just completely shut them down. I mean, you can't say enough about Trey Young. He's basically, in my opinion, I think, you know, once his career is over, people are going to be looking at him culturally as like the second coming of Allen Iverson, that tiny guy with that big, yeah. uh, can I swear on this? Yeah. With that big fuck you attitude. I mean, he's just, yeah. there's so many great things going on with Trey Young right now. I think he might be my favorite storyline in the playoffs. Yeah. Cause he brings so much to it. You know, eventually we'll get to it when we talk about Bucks versus Hawks, but he brings out his personality mid game and it's just something like fans want to see that's what puts the asses in seats it's like this player's he's spitting on in msg on the court he's bowing at the crowd at the end of the game once he hits a dagger three he crosses over drew holiday in a close game shimmies and then hits a three and he's just accepting like yeah i'm gonna be that bad mfer and just make all of you guys hit like hate me and then in the press conference you'll be like yeah like i'm just having fun out here like i'm just i'm getting paid what i love to do most why not just like have the most like most fun i could potentially have like ever like this is his first playoff run and he's making it all worth it because who knows maybe he never makes it back to the playoffs so he's just got to take he can't take playoffs for granted at any moment in his career yeah and uh, you know i think we also just kind of need to take stock of of the things that he's been able to accomplish in his first playoff run. First of all, like I was saying, he went to New York and shut them out. I think it was six games and he closed it out on the road um, in uh, Madison Square Garden. 
And then in the second round, he goes up against two of the three best perimeter defenders in the league and Ben Simmons and Matisse Seibel. You know, they did their best on him, but he was still Trey Young. Um, and, and then here he's going up against Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. All the while, DeAndre Hunter is out and Bogdan Bogdanovich is basically on one leg. So he's really doing a lot of this essentially by himself. Um, so he's doing some really, really advanced things on the court. And I know we're kind of spoiling the Bucks talk, but you know, it's just, you can't say enough about Trey Young. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get into it right now. Uh, the Bucks, as of we are recording, it is Monday evening and the Bucks are up two one in the series. They won game three, one one thirteen to one oh two, and they won very convincingly in game two by like what was it, thirty? Like thirty points? Yeah, one twenty five to one ninety one after the Hawks stole game one, but Hawks versus Bucks, we'll kinda we'll rewind back to it going into the series. What were you kind of expecting were you expecting the hawks to come into milwaukee and steal or were you expecting the bucks to go up 2-0 like what was your game plan going into the bucks versus Hawks series yeah i think i think that um everything in my head was telling me that this bucks team was a better one than atlanta just from a talent standpoint um they have the guys to get it done, whether it's Giannis, whether it's Drew Holiday, whether it's Chris Middleton, PJ Tucker, Brooke Lopez, you know, even Bobby Portis, who's been able to come off the bench. Just in terms of experience, talent, they, they should beat this Hawks team. But, you know, Atlanta has this habit of just coming in and ruining everyone's plans. And I think when you have a guy like Mike Budenholzer, who has a history of kind of being caught off guard and having difficulty adjusting in game, um, they kind of got, you know, caught up, it caught up with them in game one. And so they weren't able to pull it out, but from there, you know, Brooke Lopez, he kind of got in a lot of trouble and, and wasn't playing very well in game one because he was dropping so low in the drop coverage so that he could give up those floaters to Trey young game two. You saw a clear adjustment where he was coming up a little bit closer to the level of the screen so that he could actually get into Trey's face a little bit more. And it, it paid off. He was able to not be played off the floor. He was able to make an impact. And then with Giannis, you kind of mentioned it earlier that he's kind of playing great basketball. He's improving throughout the course of the playoffs, which is super important. I was so pissed off at this Bucks team at the beginning of the, the net series because they were just getting embarrassed by a team that was missing James Harden and then eventually missing Kyrie Irving, and they were barely able to beat them in overtime of a Game 7 uh, if it weren't for Kevin Durant wearing a, one so, like a shoe that was one size smaller. They would have been out. If he clips his toenails that night, then that's a three-pointer. Exactly. So, you know, (laughs) I was like, this is not a championship team. But here that we are, Giannis has really, really focused on stopping shooting threes as often and really focused on getting to the rim. And what I really admire about what Giannis has done is there's so much noise about his free throw shooting and the struggles that he's had there. But he's just kind of said, forget about it. I'm just going to get to the rim. And, you know, he shot the free throws relatively well compared to what he typically does. So I give him a lot of credit for just canceling out the noise from the outside and just focusing on what he needs to do in order to play his best game. And then Chris Middleton came up huge in game three. Yeah, Um, 38 points. 
Yeah, and outscored the Hawks in the fourth quarter by himself. So when Chris Middleton is on in the fourth quarter like that and Giannis has the humility to enable Chris Middleton to take those shots at the end of the game, I I think this Milwaukee Bucks team is just a better team than the Hawks. Yeah, because that kind of ramps me or accelerates me into my next question is on the X factor. And I think... For the Bucks, it's pretty clear that I think Trey Young he needs to be like well, obviously in what was it game seven versus the Sixers, Kevin Herter just like he took over. He was like yeah. he's hot, like you know, like he's like he just he came to play. And Trey Young, yeah, he wasn't having his best game, but like you said before. He's really good at facilitating. Like he's good. He's like, hey, I'm. I don't have it tonight. I'm not hitting the shots I usually do. Let's get it to these guys who Gallinari, Bogdanovich, uh, Herder, guys who can shoot the ball. And so I think Trey Young. I think he is the X factor ultimately, but he still has those guys that can shoot. But Chris Middleton, I think he is a huge X factor for the Bucks because when he plays like he does in Game Three, the Bucks have a like they're a championship team, but when he's shooting like one for thirteen and he gets like twelve points, six of them coming from the free throw line, it's like Giannis can't beat a team just going to the rim all day, right? So I think Chris Middleton, he's a type of guy that has he's a big X factor from Milwaukee if they want to win a title this year, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think it not only Chris Middleton, but also to an extent, Drew Holiday. Really what you need if you're the Bucks, you need one of those two guys to be on. And then the other to feel free to just kind of focus on the defensive end of the floor because they're both great defenders. Uh, but, you know, when neither of those guys are able to bring it offensively, Giannis is kind of pushed out of his comfort zone. He's going to start feeling like he needs to take a couple more looks from three he needs to start creating his own shot a little bit more when Giannis really is at his best when he's in transition when he can get the the block on the low post or when he can uh, you know run off a, a off of a screen and and roll to the rim so Giannis what we've learned I think from this playoffs is that Giannis can be the best player on a championship team but he cannot be the best shot creator on a championship team. And so if you don't ask him to do all those things, and if the people around him do their job enough by creating their own shots, then you have a real chance to win the championship from there. But if he's forced to make all these contested threes and long twos, and he's forced to play outside of the comfort zone of his game, that's when you're going to run into problems. Yeah. And uh, do you think that the Drew Holiday trade if that doesn't happen, then they're not in the position that they're in right now. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because really what I think they wanted to do was go for Chris Paul. I think they wanted Chris Paul in the summer and uh, it ended up not working out. And so they went with Chris Middleton and they just completely emptied the clip in order to get Drew Holiday. Um, I think I think what happened with Drew Holiday is that he was given an outsized role on offense in terms of being that kind of third or second, really secondary shot creator. And that's not necessarily his role. You kind of want him to spot up from three. You don't want him to 
be your primary ball handler, more of a secondary guy, but that's who he is in this offense. So I think a guy like Chris Paul would have been an even better fit here. But if Giannis is playing like he is and Chris Middleton is playing like he is and, and Drew Holiday is just able to be simply the best perimeter defender in the league, um, then that's a perfect role for him. So I think there was a while there where it seemed like Drew Holiday while being a great player, was not exactly the best fit for this team. I think they've really kind of gotten into their groove and they're able to play their best basketball now. So I think it was worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, because with Drew Holiday, like you said, being an outstanding perimeter defender, he's another guy that if he's not producing, he brings something else to the table, a lockdown. He can defend the uh, other team's best player without it being like Embiid or KD. Cause like KD is just, he's unguardable. Like you, there's nothing you can do when he has the ball in his hands, but drew holiday, like he can stay in front of the, any player that he wants to. It's just a matter. He can lock down a player better than others. And he, like when he was on the Pelicans, he was bringing like 22 fit points, 15 assists. So when he's, playing like that as well as his defending and Chris Middleton's bringing you even if it's just like 25 points and then Giannis is Giannis Milwaukee's a scary team and to think also they were like uh decline from Bogdanovich away from like even being better than they are right now and knowing that I think the sky's the limit for Milwaukee if they can put it together yeah, and I think, you know, especially the way that Bogdanovich looked before he got hurt, this team would have been... Uh, I still think that the Nets could have been the better team if everything was equal, everyone was healthy. But, I mean, with that other shot creation and really, like, you know, before he got hurt, Bogdanovich was able to run the bench unit when Trey Young was not on the floor to be that primary yeah. ball handler. And it worked perfectly fine. So I think... If this Milwaukee team had Bogdan Bogdanovich, I mean, I think it would have been pretty much lights out for sure. Um, yeah, I think even if just like Kyrie's healthy, I think the Nets win. But I mean, did you see that ankle? That thing folded in half. Like that that was an injury where I was like, yeah, even Kyrie was probably like, I'd rather it just snap than <laughs> a roll because a severe sprain is Way worse, but yeah, I think Kyrie's Kyrie's healthy. I think the Nets are winning, but no, it doesn't take anything away from the Bucks though, because they're still a very talented team. But how do you think the series ultimately ends up? I think we're looking at uh, them closing it out in five. I think with Trey Young kind of having that issue with his ankle, um, the Hawks are going to have a hard time creating any other kind of offense. Like I said, because Bogdanovich is kind of on one leg right now and he's their other main engine on offense uh, without Hunter, a guy who was going to be able to at least throw a body at Giannis and uh, at least try and slow down Chris Middleton. I just think that without a hundred percent Trey, they are just at such a talent deficit against the Bucks that uh, I think it's going to be over in five games now. All right, I th I think it'll be Bucks in six. I do think that Atlanta can steal another game, but yeah, I uh, five or six in my opinion. I don't think it's gonna end up going the distance, but I mean, I'm not gonna put it against Trey Young. He's proved many people wrong before, and if he can. 
get 38, then anything's on the table for Atlanta. But um, moving on to the next series, um, I touched on it last episode, but uh, Phoenix and L.A. Um, Phoenix is currently up 3-1 in the series. It's not quite Suns in four again, unfortunately, as much as they were saying it after that video came out. But there will be a game, or obviously it is game five, but it's not going to be over in four. But, um, man, this Phoenix Suns team, they've just been able to bring it. And even without the presence of Chris Paul, I think Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, that kind of washes out. Maybe a little bit more in favor of Kawhi Leonard being out. L.A. might be shorthanded a bit, but both their big stars are out in game one. And I've even up to this point, I think, or is Chris Paul, Chris Paul is back for game three, or was. But first two games, they're out there with other two big stars and Phoenix did go up two nothing, but I mean, what's your, who do you like in this series? And like, what are you kind of looking forward to seeing? Or at least when this series was approaching, what were you looking forward to see? Yeah, I think this was a really interesting experiment of what this Phoenix Suns team was going to be without their kind of North star and Chris Paul, you know, I mean, the the people on ESPN just go on and on and on about the impact that he's made on this young team, which he has. But let's also remember, this was a Suns team that went 8-0 in the bubble without Chris Paul. This was a team that was ready to take another step forward. And, I mean, I was really, really impressed by the way that those young guys played in the first two games. Devin Booker is an absolute killer. He's playing like he's 35 years old and that he's been to the Western Conference Finals eight times in his career. DeAndre Ayton has taken an absolute step forward. Another guy who's compared to Luka Doncic a lot because he was taken in the first pick before both Trey Young and Luka Doncic. Um, and he's proven that, you know, obviously you want a guy like Luka over him, but He's not a bad first pick. It, it makes sense why they did that. Um, and he's added things to his game. He had 22 rebounds in game four. And he's a huge part of that win as well. Um, but, you know, here's the thing about that, though, is that, you know, Devin Booker broke his nose, hasn't been the same since. Chris Paul has ha- had COVID and has now come back. But we've seen before that it takes some time for these guys to truly come back from having COVID. And even so, they're able to grind out an 84 to 80 win in game four. And to me, that is the mark of a championship team, one that is able to win a game in a multitude of different kinds of ways. Even when your stars aren't shooting well, you have your role players to pick you up. And speaking of role players, you can't say enough about campaign who has been kind of just the redemption story of the entire playoffs this year, going from basically being out of the league to uh, essentially kind of, you know, keeping the seat warm for Chris Paul until he comes back. So, I mean, there is no, go ahead. He was signed to be handshake guy at the beginning of games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> Russell Westbrook. I mean, come on, man. So, you know, there's no shortage of awesome feel-good stories for this Suns team. Yeah, I, you're spot on with that campaign point because he has brought, like, a different energy. It's like, all right, now we are fully confident to ride our second team if they are hot. We don't have to fully rely on Devin Booker carrying – 38 minutes a game 
when that can really take a toll on the rest of the first team lineup because it's when your best player gets tired, everyone else is like, all right, we're kind of out of it. But when you can have a guy like campaign rolling, then it's just like it makes your team that much deeper. Well, and I just uh, real quick, I want to read you the the his stat line for game two. He had yeah. this was the game that uh, Chris Paul was out. He had twenty nine points on twelve of twenty four shooting, nine assists, and zero turnovers. Like that is big time stuff that in the Western huge. Conference. I mean, like it's just cannot be overstated how important he was in that game, which was the game that was decided by that tip in uh, by DeAndre Ayton off of that beautiful lob from the out-of-bounds play from Jay Crowder. If if campaign is not playing the way that he is, the Clippers take it away easily. So I, I really think you can't say enough about him. What was your genuine reaction to that play? I, <laughs> You know, it's funny. I have like one of those streaming apps on TV. I don't have cable. So it, there is yeah. like a five-second delay. And uh, I have this group message on Instagram with some of oh, my buddies. No. And I saw in all caps, like, oh, my God, DeAndre Ayton. So I knew something was about to happen, but I, I didn't expect that. The, from the start of it, from Monty Williams drawing up that play to Jay Crowder, the unsung hero in that play is Jay Crowder. The way that he Perfect. put that on a dime yeah. for DeAndre Ayton, a guy who's not, obviously, not known for his passing ability, he... God, he put it there perfectly in DeAndre Ayton, having the presence of mind to cut to the rim. And by the way, another unsung hero, Devin Booker, who sets the back screen. Your superstar, your guy who scored, I think it was 49 in a closeout game against the Denver Nuggets. Your superstar setting a screen for the other guy to get the lay-in at the end. I mean, it was was one of the coolest moments of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, because he... um... Crowder knows he's like, hey, there's not a lot of time on the clock, so he doesn't. I can't put it in a position where he has to catch it and then release yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he basically threw it into the net, and Dayton just had to get a tip on it. So he threw it in a position where Aiton didn't necessarily have to catch it and then lay it in. He just had to basically just touch it down like a volleyball spike, just over the net, just tap it in. And yeah, Devin Booker, he's like a totally unselfish play. He realizes like, Hey, this is, isn't a position where I can catch the ball off an inbound and try and be hero. I'm going to try and set a screen here. Cause no one's going to really expect it. Right. They're going to try and expect the quick catch and shoot. So yeah, you bring up good points by mentioning those guys as unsung heroes for that play. Yeah. And like the, out, I think out of bounds plays are taken for granted by you know most fans because you just think okay you're just getting the ball inbound. Um, the Bucks in Game Seven against the Nets they had two out of bounds plays where they were begging, begging for the Nets to just take the ball away from them because they just couldn't draw something up to effectively get the ball inbounds that and and counterbalance the pressure that the Nets were giving them. So for the Suns to uh, just go with the right play and and that will get someone in position to make a play with 0.9 seconds left I think just speaks to the overall vibes of this team they're unselfish they love playing together um and you know it's just they've kind of been my pet project over the course of the season they've been my favorite team to watch since the Rockets have been so bad so I'm just really happy to see the Suns doing so well yeah so currently right now the 
game sits at 59-49 at halftime. So the Clippers have a 10-point lead. Um, Suns are up 3-1 in the series. When they went up 2-1, everyone was like, all right, like, yeah, Suns have, they could sweep, but, you know, the Clippers were down 2-0 in both the series prior, and they closed out both of them. So let's not count them out yet. And they're winning in game five to make it 3-2. So how do you kind of see the end of this game pouring out and the series altogether? Well, let me take a look at the how well are the Clippers shooting the three ball? Because that's pretty much been indicative of how well the Clippers play through the entirety of the playoffs. Um, so it looks like, oh my God. So the Clippers are shooting <laughs> four of 16 from three. They're only shooting 25% from three and the Suns are shooting 47%. That is a little disconcerting. The fact that uh, the Clippers are shooting so, so poorly and they're still up by seven at halftime is pretty alarming if you're the Suns. But look, Marcus Morris, he has 20, 20 points at the half. Reggie Jackson has 14. And that is the reason that the Clippers are still able to stay around without Kawhi Leonard. Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, every single night they've had a guy come up. Tr- uh, Terrence Mann, I mean, Everyone's talked about Terrence Mann yeah. and the job he did. Um, so, you know, their role players have really played above their weight so far in, in the entirety of the playoffs without Kawhi. So, you know, it should be no surprise that they're able to kind of gut out this kind of win in Phoenix. Um, I still think Phoenix has a run in them. I would not be surprised if they come back. But, I mean, there's something different about this Clippers team. This is not the Clippers team that we had last year in the bubble. So, um, you know, it's kind of a coin flip. And, you know, three-to-one series comebacks seem to happen more and more often in the NBA every single year. So, who knows? Maybe they could come back. Yeah, it'll be uh, very fun to watch. And uh, who do you ultimately have won in the series? And what is your NBA Finals matchup? Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Suns here. I think there's something weird about this Clippers team, man, and I think they're going to take it to seven, but I like the Clippers to, excuse me, I like the Suns to close it out. So I'm going to take the Suns in seven. And then it's the Suns versus the Bucks. I'm so wishy washy on this series. I think that my mind is telling me the Bucks. I think they're just playing really well, but my heart is telling me the Suns. I like, like I said, I like the vibes of this team. I like the way they play together. So I'm going to go with the Suns in seven, taking it home in Phoenix. Yeah, I um, when I had Alex Day from No Huddle Sports on, I had uh, Suns. This was the beginning of both their respected series, the Bucks and Nets and Suns and Nuggets. Or, yeah, it was the Suns and Nuggets, the series before this. So I um I said Suns over Bucks in seven in the finals, I believe. Or no, Suns over Bucks in six. One of the two. So I, I'm I'll stick with it. I think um I think the Suns will win game if they don't win tonight, I think they're gonna win game six. I don't think it's gonna go to seven. But I mean, like you said, this uh Clippers team, they just have this funky way of uh getting to game seven. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, and I'm excited to watch um, for the future. But, uh, yeah, that's the playoffs, and there's a few other notes here, the couple hires. And when we were talking, you said he had a couple uh, couple opinions here, so I'm excited to see uh, 
how you feel, but Portland Trailblazers, that was English. Portland Trailblazers did find a head coach in Chauncey Billups on a multi-year deal, and the Mavericks hired Jason Kidd to be their next head coach after Jason Kidd coming from the Nets. So what are your opinions on these two hires for these respected teams? Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, I, I, you and I have never talked before, so I don't know where you land on this issue, so I don't want to get too hot here. But, uh, you know, frankly, I find them insulting. Um, you know, there's both of these men have a past of, you know, Jason Kidd, in his case, he pled guilty to hitting his wife. And then Chauncey Billups, he, in 1997, he settled a uh rape charge that was raised against him outside of court. Um, and, you know, we can say what we want about giving guys second chances or yada, yada, yada. But it also just, if you look at the context of these two moves, I think it, that's what's really kind of damning here. In the case of the Mavericks in 2018, there was the internal investigation about this culture of 20 years of sexual harassment towards women in their organization that was very like systemic and um there were you know there the findings were so bad that mark cuban he donated millions of dollars to women's causes yada 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 and then so for them three years later to turn around and hire a guy who literally pled guilty to domestic violence i think is one of the most if not the most tone deaf thing i've ever seen in sports and then with chauncey billups so the thing that really bothers me is that you know obviously he's not convicted of anything he wasn't truly charged with anything so you can't say anything definitively but if you go back and look at the testimony of the alleged victim it is pretty damning and horrifying and then looking at um the person who was also up for this job was becky hammond who would be the first uh woman head coach in the history of the nba so the the, the fact that this man who has this history of sexual violence allegedly again i want to be careful with how i say that uh to be hired over uh, a woman, in my opinion, is frankly insulting. And, you know, it's kind of already kind of blown up in their face because I don't know if you want to talk about this, but it seems like Dame Lillard is starting to distance himself away from Portland. And at any moment he could request a trade uh, or request a trade out of town, which is something that Houston Rockets fans dealt with for the entirety of last summer. So I know how that feels. So I don't know, man, you know, I, I think that the NBA has always been on the forefront of social issues with Black Lives Matter last year, but um, no sport is perfect, and the league certainly, in my view, showed that this week. Yeah, it's definitely something that um, you kind of need to be careful. And if everything is, if ev- all the sort of like dust is settled, and yeah, like um, everyone, if it is truly deserving. People say that people deserve second chances, and to an extent, maybe, yeah. So it kind of depends on where both situations lie. And any sort of allegations with Chauncey Billups, things could have been revoked. Then there might have not been any reports, but anything could have happened. So I'm not, I don't know a whole ton on the matter. So I'm not going to make any sort of assumptions that could affect me so it's interesting to see from that point and again with hiring women i don't with the way things are going if she's fully deserving of the job then 
there's no reason to like pick one over the other. I just I don't want women to be hired to be the token women for the job. I don't want it to just be like, hey, it seems like society's going in this direction, so I'm just gonna hire a woman just and she's not deserving of the job, not because of her gender, just because of her qualifications. So I just don't want it to get to the point where she's just the token woman. If she's deserving the job, then fuck yeah, like get the job. Like if you are truly deserving of being the GM of a team over this guy, then yeah, hire her. But you know, like make the right choice. And again, with the Chauncey Billups, I don't know where anything lies. He could be totally not deserving, be totally deserving. I don't know. But the Jason Kidd one, that's also kind of weary. I guess since he's had other jobs in the past, um, then, I mean, maybe he's gotten references, references, resources. Um, He's seen paperwork with any sort of, with his charges and everything. I have no idea. But, yeah, it's both pretty suspecting um, hires and see where things go from here. Well, and so there's a few other things I want to bring up. I think one, um, we don't know what happened with Chauncey Billups. Like we, we yeah. truly do not. But at the same time, like think about the jobs that these guys are getting, right? I mean, they are NBA head coaches. They are at the top of their profession. Yeah. So in my view, the kind of caliber of person that should be getting this job should have a higher bar than a vast majority of other professions. No, and fair. We're not in the criminal court. He is innocent until proven guilty, but the court of public opinion is vastly different from the criminal court. So I think that, and more than just a moral issue, it's really a terrible PR job by these two teams. I mean, especially with the Mavericks, like, I mean, could you do something that was so tone deaf, you know? And I, I take your point on, you know, tokenizing women and just hiring them just because. Um, but, you know, in my view, in terms of Becky Hammond's credentials, she has an extensive, long, prestigious playing career within the WNBA, and she has been an assistant under Greg Popovich, the greatest coach since probably Phil Jackson uh, for years and years and years. So um, honestly, at the end of the day, I think she'll probably end up just taking over once Pop uh, ends up retiring. But, you know, I don't think I think that any woman that is in an assistant coach's role it's probably there for a reason because they yeah, have the credentials to back it up. So um, I think, man, listen, it's a lot of the things that we talk about in today's age are more nuanced than the way that we make them out to be. And that's just a product of the social media age that we live in. We have these black and white reactions when there's a lot of gray area there. But for me personally, as a league, um, the NBA should not be living in a gray area when it comes to uh, making their their games and their workplaces as safe as possible for everyone. So that's just, you know, that's the reason why I have such a hardline stance on it. No, and I totally respect where you're coming from. And um, as a kind of semi-tier NBA fan and follower, I still like the sport. I still like uh, a lot of the players in the league. Um I didn't know. I knew Jason Kidd. I didn't know necessarily his entire coaching career. I know that he had like an advisory role with the Nets, and he's uh, had. Yes, he's not a great coach, coach by the way. He, yeah, <laughs> he coached I, in Milwaukee I, and in Brooklyn, and I mean, he underachieved all you know every step of the way. Yeah. So this, 
I don't know, man. But um, I uh, what's the uh, female coach that was in contention? Becky Sorry, Hammond. Yeah, no, that's okay. and um, I didn't know too much about her, but if she's been an assistant and she has a long playing career and she has credentials and I I hope she gets a job. Sure, I just don't yeah, want her to, yeah. I just don't want her to just be like if she has the assistant to Greg Popovich, that's a huge tell that she's deserving of a job. Sure, yeah, yeah. I just don't want it to be like, oh, she played five years, gave her a job. It's like, well, can does has she proven it at some sort of lower level? But if she's been an assistant, then fuck yeah, like if she's deserving of the job, then hell yeah. But no, those are uh, very good opinions that you bring up and um yeah it's uh i personally would have gone a different direction if i was both teams but i mean hey if they usually they know more than us but something fishy typically goes along in within every sort of it's a yeah it's a, it's very weird but um yeah i personally would have gone a different direction knowing these facts but hey it's uh yeah, it's. I don't really know what else to say, but it's above our pay grade, I guess, huh? Yeah, I guess so. That's why I'm sitting in my room in a very muggy hot box talking on a podcast. But to each their own, I guess. But um, to finish off this episode, I want to talk about the Kemba Walker trade. So Boston decided to send uh, All-Star point guard Kemba Walker and the 16th pick in this year's NBA draft. And as well as a 2025 second round pick to uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick. So uh, basically, two teams trading a hefty cap hit. Um, a lot of different players going different ways, picks swapping. Uh, what was your reaction to this trade, and who do you think came out on top? What's to come? Give me your opinion. Yeah, this is a weird. Um situation where i think both teams really kind of walk out happy um if you look at the way that oklahoma city has been running their team they're kind of this way station for guys who have these big contracts who don't currently command a lot of trade value on the open market they give them an opportunity to play for half a year a year you saw it with chris paul now you see it with al horford you're about to see it with kemba walker they give them an opportunity to kind of recoup some of that trade value that they might have lost out due to their contract or the way that they've played recently and they also get a essentially a lottery pick out of this deal. It's it's technically out of the lottery, but it's just two picks outside of it. So they're going to get some great talent um, out of this first round pick. And then looking on the other side in Boston, Kemba was not a. I mean, if he was able to stay on the floor, he would have been a good fit there. He's a great team guy, great in the locker room. Everybody loves him, uh, but he hasn't been able to be reliable on the floor for them because he's had those issues with his knee. And Al Horford is a guy who loves Boston. As soon as he got traded back, he's like, I I'm so happy to be back, and my family loves it here. So um, I think that Boston is actually really happy to get this deal done. And basically, you know, when I thought about moving on from Kemba Walker, I was like, well, it's going to take quite a bit for you to be able to sweeten the deal for another team in order to get it done. And really all they had to do was move on from a first round pick that likely wasn't going to help them this year anyway. So no harm, no foul. I think this is a pretty even trade overall. Do is it like a situation where both teams win? Yeah, I think, well, <laughs> we, we got to wait until the season actually pans out, but 
the one place I do have a little bit of concern is if Kemba Walker stays healthy and he wants to keep playing, you know, he could take the hand, the ball out of the hands of SGA a little bit. And that is not what the Oklahoma city thunder want to do. They want to keep the ball in the hands of Shea Gilgis, Alexander, the guy who is their future. They want to see him continue to develop on the ball. Um, so Kemba Walker being, excuse me, Kemba Walker being there is not necessarily a great on the court fit, especially with what they're trying to do developmentally. Um, but we saw last season where, uh, with Al Horford, they shut him down for basically the second half of the season so that other young guys could get some more running time. So, I mean, honestly, I really don't see either of these teams being too upset with this deal by the end of next season. Yeah, I uh, do you think maybe Oklahoma tries to flip Kemba. I know it's hard to flip a guy who's as injury prone as he's been with a hefty contract, but do you think he maybe they maybe try to just trade him for picks to in the future because they've done that recently with like paul and westbrook and stuff yeah yeah i think that is very likely to happen if not at the deadline at the end of the season next year i think they're really going to try and play him and and let him uh, shine as much as he can throughout the beginning of the season so that he can recoup some of that trade value something you have to know about the nba is when when it comes down to it and there's an hour before the trade deadline somebody always blinks somebody always bites on the big name to try and kind of get their fan base excited or convinces themselves that this guy is the the last piece we need in order to can truly contend um so i think that i think there's a really good chance he's moved at the deadline and if not then i think he'll be moved in the summer when he has one less year on his contract and uh, uh is able to recoup his value a little bit yeah, I um, I totally when I saw that I was like, oh, that's kind of a head scratcher. But then I realized that Boston, like, you can kind of see the way that Boston's head and like Tatum's become that guy where it's like he's very he can be very ball dominant. And with a guy like Kemba, he's also kind of ball dominant, and that doesn't necessarily work. And like Tatum's just taking that next step, and then you still have Marcus Smart coming back. You have Jalen Brown coming back. So Kemba's just kind of a piece where it's like we're missing players in the paint, and we've had a player who's performed on our team before who likes being here, who we can maybe get a bit more use out of, and they need a veteran presence that can kind of carry them in the playoffs that they haven't necessarily had, um, and that really could have helped them this year. So I I think this is a good trade for both teams, and I personally like it a bit more for Boston. If I had to just give an opinion, just for the fact that I think the download presence of Horford, as well as a young player in Moses Brown, and just like Boston's been a playoff team, and I think that veteran presence can really help them going forward. Yeah, and if he's able to continue to find his stroke from the outside, he's able to space the floor for you as well. Yeah. Um, and I also believe that the last year of his contract is only half guaranteed. So it is a really big cap number, but at the end of the day, in that last year of his contract, either A, you can cut him halfway and only have to pay him half of that contract, or B, you can move him as an expiring contract to another team. He'll be a lot more valuable as an expiring contract in a couple of years for sure. Totally agree, man. And 
Hell, like this is uh, this has been a very fun conversation, and I really respect what you bring to the table in terms of NBA and NBA talk and your knowledge and all that. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of this season and the NBA playoffs overall? No, I feel good. Um, the only thing I want to say is, uh, once again, you mentioned it before, and I appreciate it. Uh, go ahead and check me out at Courtside Chats, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and also on Dropping Dimes, a basketball podcast. Um, and listen, man, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, are you on social media? Uh, social media at all? That yeah, can go yeah. Follow you? Yeah, of course. I'm on Twitter at Hayden H A Y D E N M, as in uh, Mitch Gray G R A Y. All right, guys, go follow his pages, and you guys obviously know where to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, left side heavy underscores where you can find everything for the show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, be sure to follow those pages and intro outro music. You know, it's nothing different. Um, it's Savage by Tom Ivory featuring Six Man. Go check out the Get Well Soon mixtape. And I'm doing a giveaway. Uh, so I posted that on social media. Uh, go check that out. All the details are on the post. I'm give, you could be a winner of three $50 Amazon gift cards. Uh, they'll be e-gift cards, so they'll still work, and it gives me the option to send it to American listeners. So the details will be in the post, so be sure to check that out on the Left Side Heavy Instagram and Twitter. And Hayden, once again, thank you for coming on. It was a blast. And we'll see you guys next time. I just gotta let go. Went from ducking and fucking, and now I got put in the friend zone. There's no need for discussion, I just really loved how you get low. But I'm dipping, I'm cutting the shorty, and we're being ten toes. Ten toes. I, I, I just gotta let go. Call me a Benzo, paid all cash, I won't take no rentals, killing my vibe.